The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is Sean Hyman. He's the editor of the Ultimate Wealth Report uh, newsletter and also a new service called the Absolute Profits Trading Service. Welcome to the show, Sean. Hi, good to be here. Just tell briefly your background and uh, what led into creating of this new uh, uh, trading service, Absolute Profits. Yeah, my background um, is, goes back about 20 years in the financial markets uh, as far as my own personal investing and then uh, worked for a good number of years uh, for Charles Schwab as a broker and a manager. Uh, later on also uh, worked in the uh, Forex market for FXM, which is Forex Capital Markets, and uh, have followed uh, commodities quite a bit as well. So I have a lot of experience in stocks, commodities, and, and Forex, which is currencies. Um, and so that basically, it, it, I basically formed a lot of opinions about the markets and kind of take the pulse of the market through watching those markets. And that's where the Ultimate Wealth Report came from because we talk a lot about um, inflation and dollar devaluation and how to position your investments in light of that to profit. And uh, and in in absolute profits, we really are – it's a a wider scope. It's a value hunter type of service where we'll hold positions a little bit shorter in length, but, uh, but we'll look for value anywhere all over the world in any industry sector or country as long as it's easily tradable through a U.S. stock brokerage account. Very good. Well, let's start with a broader view, and then we're going to get into some of the specifics of the areas you, uh, mm-hmm. you like these days. Um, so here we are in this historic day where it looks like the U.S. government's going to shut down on basically a stalemate between the Republicans and Democrats. Uh, what is your sense of the, the significance of this long term as far as uh, what its implications are going to be for the U.S. dollar, the view of uh, the U.S. And, and the markets? Well, you know, the U.S. dollar, you know, continues to uh, to weaken. I mean, more more faith is getting lost in it. And uh, yes, we have had a U.S. dollar rally for the last couple of years. But in the bigger context, when you back up and look over, you know, 10, 20, 30 years time, you see that it's really just more of like a bear market rally. And it looks like that uh, that even that bear market rally itself is broken down in the last month or two and is starting the next leg of its overall downtrend. So. You know, investors around the world see the U.S. continue to stack up debt so so that we keep having to raise debt ceilings, which we'll eventually do again, if not immediately. It'll still end up happening. They see the instability in our government, and and uh, Congress can't put together a budget or agree upon much of anything. All these types of things, uh, and, and not to mention, you know, a somewhat sluggish economy. All these things really weigh upon the uh, the U.S. dollar terribly. My guest this hour, this half hour, is Sean Hyman. Uh, he's the editor of the Ultimate Wealth Report. So just tell us the long-term implications of the decline of the U.S. dollar, which you say is going to be resuming here. Yeah, the long-term implications uh, are basically that you're going to see a lot more uh, inflation kick up. Uh, you're going to see a loss of purchasing power of the U.S. dollar, and you're going to see a lot more of the middle class slip into the lower class as as a result. And of course, you know, politically, they can't ever say this is going to be the case because that's not going to win any votes. But in reality, that's that's what's going to happen. Okay, so uh, from an investment point of view, uh, how do you want to be positioned to benefit from the decline of the dollar? You're saying against other harder currencies. What, what are some of the other benchmarks that you would uh, compare the dollar against that would benefit as the dollar falls? 
Yeah, there are several different ways you can do it. Um, you know, some people may choose to invest in foreign currency ETFs like on, uh, that are based off of that follow the Australian dollar FXA or that follow the euro FXE, something like that. Um, but then there's also um, ways that you can play off of those through just the the stock market. For instance, um, we we took advantage of the the euro's dip uh, as the dollar was rallying and bought Italian stocks. Uh, through an ETF EWI and um, and, and wrote it up about 52% over the, over about a year and a month and then just recently sold out. So that's a way that you can take advantage of a currency going down or up and, and play it through the stock market through a stock account. And you're really playing a currency game, but really you're able to do it more simplistically through your, through an actual stock and through your stock account. So the other way to play it, I guess, is hard assets, various ways, because if the dollar falls... Uh, hard assets will rise, partly Correct. because it's in, as the dollar falls, that's inflationary. Is that one of the reasons why hard assets would rise? It is, and and of course you've got most all these hard assets that are that are denominated in dollars, and so as the dollar tanks, it's gonna it's gonna make them shoot up as well. So that's one reason why I believe that uh, gold will continue can, you know continue to do well. Um, it will have a bumpy ride, no doubt. I mean, we saw that from 1900 down to the 1200s, uh, and so there will be these big volatile gyrations, no doubt, but. If you chart like the debt ceiling, for instance, and you chart that over gold, you see that as we keep raising that debt ceiling, gold overall keeps you know keeps going higher. Um, you know, and it just makes sense. I mean, the the more debt you stack up, the more risk you take on. The more risk you take on, the more you know investors worry about the return of their money, much less making anything off of their their money. So the sentiment sours, and uh, and it's it's good for things like uh, like gold, silver. Uh, but even things that we we also need uh, in our economy, like oil, will will do well as well. All right, let's take those one at a time. Let's start with gold. Uh, would you buy gold mining shares or the gold exchange traded fund like a GLD? What would be the best way to play gold? Well, uh, you know, I, I do believe gold will go up. I think we'll see gold uh, go from you know the thirteen hundreds back to the fifteen sixteen hundreds at least. Um, over the coming months, but I think a better way to play it is to go with uh, gold stocks or a gold ETF. And the reason why is because as gold got pummeled, um, gold stocks got even more pummeled. And so the percentage differences on how much they got uh, pummeled was just a huge disparity. Um, And so if there was one asset more hated than gold itself, it was gold stocks. And and so they're really trading at low, uh, cheap multiples fundamentally. Um, and so I, I like you know GDX or somebody if they want broad uh, exposure to gold stocks and don't want to you know go in and pick an individual one. Um, I like some of the biggest miners in the world like ABX, which is Barrick Gold or NEM Newmont Mining. Um, so if you're if you're going to pick the turnarounds there, I think it's it's best to go with some of the biggest players in the world. And uh, and I think you know people will be richly rewarded over time. So this is not. It's something that somebody needs to be in months to possibly a year or more, but I believe that uh, they'll be wise in doing so. so. So why would gold stocks do better than gold if gold starts moving up? Because they, because just like in markets where there's always an over-optimism and an over-pessimism that, that catapult these to, to both extremes, gold, gold stocks have been overly pummeled far more than actual gold has. So as, they, as investors start to see gold itself start turning around, they'll realize they kind of oversteered um, on gold stocks, and gold stocks will play more of a catch-up percentage-wise than, you know, than actual gold itself. So you'll see, actually, 
gold stocks actually end up outperforming gold itself. And then how about silver? Silver has precious metals, but it's also industrial metal. What is the outlook for silver, and how would you play that? Yeah, silver I like. Um, you know, of course, silver um, you know, had reached you know, 48, 49 uh, uh, an ounce, and everybody loved it. And, and then when it dropped down to you know, 18, 19s um, an ounce, nobody loved it. And, um, but you know, to me, a lot of the froth has been taken out of silver, and you're going to see the, the next leg of the dollar decline happen. And you've still got the same problems that you know, made these uh, metals originally go up. Um, you know, debt ceiling and debt issues and sluggish economies and high unemployment and so forth. So I really believe that overall uptrend continues, even though um, both gold and silver had gotten a bit ahead of itself and so took a bit of a pummeling over the last year or so, year or two. But, uh, but I believe the worst of that is blown over, and I believe it's, it's safer to buy these now. So we, you know, we own SLV, uh, which tracks silver in the uh, Ultimate Wealth Portfolio, and you know, it's already performing nice for, for us even early on. But I believe there will be a lot more out of that. I think silver uh, could easily go to 25 26 possibly $27 per ounce from here. So quite, still quite a you know, good percentage move from where we are now. And what other kinds of commodities, let's keep oil aside for the moment, but uh, agriculture, for example, do you think that would benefit by the declining dollar, and how would you play that? I do. Um, you know, anytime the dollar starts declining and inflation is kicked up, it, it, it has a, a more pronounced effect, uh, even in other parts of the world. And, and you know, you'll probably remember the, um, the crisis over in the Middle East, uh, the Arab Spring, they called it, where you know people were riding in the streets and 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 there was just <clears throat> huge, there was just mayhem everywhere, and a lot of that was initially sparked because of the food prices were starting to get uh, elevated. I mean, when you live off of so little money and food prices elevate the least little bit, I mean, it can make the difference between whether you eat that day or not. We don't quite have that problem here in America as much so for the average American at least. But still, I believe those prices are going to turn around and head higher. I believe they probably bottomed in uh, in August, and uh, we own a uh, agriculture ETF uh, symbol DBA, and uh, I believe that will do well. But you know, people are going to have to have food. Food prices will go up as the uh, dollar goes down. It's not a it's not as direct of a correlation or a stronger correlation with the dollar and food as it is like dollar and gold, but it'll still have its impact. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this half hour is Sean Hyman. He's the editor of the Ultimate Wealth Report. You can find out more about it at ultimatewealthreport.com. He's also the uh, editor of a new trading service called Absolute Profits, which you can find out about at absoluteprofits.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. 
Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn. To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is Sean Hyman. Uh, he's the editor of the Ultimate Wealth Report and a new service called Absolute Profits Trading Service. Welcome back to the show, Sean. Hi, good to be here. So another way to play what you see as a declining dollar in the long run is energy, uh, oil and gas particularly. First of all, why would that happen? And then uh, what would be the best way to play uh, oil and natural gas? Sure. Um, the reason why I like it is because, one, um, there's so much tension in the Middle East that could still spark uh, spark a lot of um, things that are bullish for, for oil. But even if you set those aside um, and say none of those type things happen, nothing happens in Syria, everything stays fine in Egypt, Libya, etc., um, the global economy is still healing and at a better pace recently than it was in the past year or two. You've got China, which is on the mend, and their, their economy is turning around. You've got Europe turning around at the same time that, that China's turning around. Now, Europe's got a long ways to go, but at least it's heading in the right direction. So having enormous China and enormous Europe both recovering at the same time while the U.S. is holding its own um, is a very bullish thing for oil and natural gas, but particularly oil. And so that's one thing that's kept it very strong. Um, and it's really kept a lot of people scratching their heads. They really underestimated the power of those two economic recoveries happening at the same time. So what I like is um, I like some oil stocks that probably aren't the first ones that come to mind, so it's not really your ExxonMobil's of the world. I'll know nothing wrong with that one, but it just trades a little more rich uh, PE-wise than I would prefer. And um, so the ones that I like best are ones like uh, BP, British Petroleum, um, it you know trades at a low single digit PE, so it's cheap relative to its earnings. It has a you know five percent dividend yield. It has a very large stock buyback program. There's a lot of different reasons uh, why, and also it's very underestimated now because when people think BP, they still think oil spill. Uh, but that has really been priced into the stock, um, and they also think litigation, and really a lot of their litigation they've already taken care of, and the little bit that's still left to go, they've already set aside money for. So. 
Um, and even with that, with oil spill litigation, everything, I mean, they still have 20, you know, $25, 30000000000 billion in cash on their uh, U.S. books with which to back that dividend and still operate um, very, very well. So even in a tough time, they still are in a better fu- fundamental financial condition than a lot of companies, even in their best of days. So that's, that's one reason why I like that. But also, how, how, do you think oil prices, how, do you, how do you think oil prices could go, Sean? Um, in the near term, while they might have possibly a bit of a, a pullback uh, due to, you know, debt ceiling and government sh- uh, shutdown and all these sort of issues, um, once that is over, I think WTI crude could potentially go to the, you know, 115, 117 level. That will take time. That won't come overnight. It'll take months minimally. But I think we could see it ultimately head there once this uh, pullback is is finished. Um, and then on Brent crude, I think it could eventually go to, you know, 125 per barrel. So, again, that'll take time as well, maybe even a little bit longer, but ultimately I think they'll do uh, quite well. The eventual problem that will happen, uh, <clears throat> which we're not there yet and we'll have to worry about it for a little while, but eventually high oil, of course, will weigh upon uh, the global economy. It'll be like uh, ankle weight strapped to a runner, and it will eventually drag it down. Um, that typically does happen when WTI crude, uh, which is what is you know the oil price here in the U.S., um, gets to about between 110 and $120 per barrel or higher, and sustains that for any real length of time. And so that's that's something that will eventually weigh upon the global economy and will have to be addressed later on. But for now, uh, I think there's still a good bit of upside uh, potential in these oil stocks. You also like some foreign oil stocks, particularly in France and Brazil. What are some of the plays there? Yeah, I like uh, ENI, symbol E, and I like uh, Total, uh, symbol TOT, uh, for some of the same reasons. They've just been largely overlooked. Um, some, they've also been beaten down because people all didn't just see oil company. They saw you know, European oil company, for instance. And, of course, we all know what the sentiment of investors has been towards Europe. They've been fleeing everything European for, you know, largely for quite some time. And so the baby got thrown out with the bathwater on that, and so these oil companies like that got uh, got punished. And uh, PBR Petrobras is another one I like because I believe it's starting its turnaround uh, now as well. Okay, and then uh, other kind of minerals companies you like beyond gold and silver, what are some of the plays you like there, both U.S. and around the world? Yeah, I like Vale. Vale is just a, an enormous uh, company, and uh, it's it's been so hated. You know, it was a darling a few years ago. It could do no wrong, and investors loved it. And now it's like an afterthought. Uh, investors still you still don't like it. It's it's very fundamentally cheap, um, and that's really the time to go in, in my opinion. I'm I'm more of a value-based approach, more like a Warren Buffett or a Sir John Templeton. I would rather run to where everybody else is running away from and, and as they say, get greedy when everybody else is fearful um, and stay away from anything where, you know, be fearful where everybody else is greedy. So, you know, that would kind of be like your Teslas of the world and some of them right now. So, uh, so it's some of these unloved areas of the world that are just huge, enormous companies. They're some of the largest in their industry. They're hard to compete with. Their multi-billion dollar market cap earn multi-billion dollars per year and have multi-billion dollars of cash on their books and trade at low PE uh, valuations, so they're cheap relative to their earnings, and even many of them cheap relative to their book values. So to me, that is some of the safest places to be in the world 
Um, so to me, I think you should focus on the quality of your ship rather than the, the size of the waves out there. And so, you know, the, the, the debt ceiling is a wave and the government shutdown is a wave and all these types of things are waves and noise. But if you, if you have bought quality ships and you've bought a fleet of them and not just one, then those are the best ways to protect yourself, in my opinion. You also like two of the more uh, volatile countries out there, Russia and China. Why do you like them and how, how should uh, investors play them? Yeah, I like to play them broadly. Um, I normally don't like Russian stocks, but I do like Russian stocks every once in a while when they get um, insanely cheap. And uh, right now, uh, Russia and China stocks uh, through symbols RSX and FXI, so the first one's Russia, the second one's China, um, they trade at uh, PEs of uh, you know 10 and 8, respectively. And so uh, U.S. stocks uh, generally are trading at about 18, 19 times earnings right now, which is you know, historically on the high side of what they are normally worth. They can go a little higher, uh, and historically they have, but it's still towards the high rather than the low. And Russia, China, some of these stocks have been hated by investors. They've been beaten down because emerging markets took it on the chin so long. And uh, they're starting to come back and, I believe, form new uptrends as of the last month or two. And so they're very overlooked, very beaten down, cheap uh, relative to their earnings, and uh, many of them pay respectable dividends as well. But I like to go in and, and kind of do it a little bit more broadly through RSX and FXI. Now, another area you like, which is uh, kind of different from what you've talked about here, is Apple, which is kind of the darling. I mean, the stock hasn't been the darling, but certainly the company has been. What value do you see at Apple uh, where it is today? Yeah, Apple um, I like because hardly anybody likes it anymore. They loved it at 700 and they hated it at, at 400 And, you know, they'll give you all the reasons. And, well, there's other competitors in the market now, Samsung, Droid's coming on strong, Steve Jobs has already passed, so there goes your visionary, et cetera. Um, but, but, you know, historically those are invalid um, reasons to, to, uh, to not own a stock because it'd be like saying, well, now that Sam Walton has passed on, don't own Walmart or because, you know, because there's a Burger King, you shouldn't own a McDonald's or because there's a Target, you shouldn't own a Walmart or whatever. These are just, you know, the, the world's big enough for, you know, two or three very large competitors. And so just because another competitor comes up doesn't mean that you should shun the other. Uh, but predominantly, besides sentiment, I like Apple because, um, as far as I can find, it's got the largest cash position on its books of any company in the world. It's got $147 billion in cash. And so if you were to see stock market corrections that were fairly severe, you would probably see a lot of people run towards Apple as almost sort of a safe haven of sorts because of its cash position and because of how beaten down it is, not only on its stock price, but relative to its uh, earnings as well. And then I just briefly wanted to get into Absolute Profits, your new service. Uh, you talk about being a value-oriented investor. How do you find value, and what are some of the things you're looking for in this new service you've just launched? Yeah, the world is a big place, and so when you, when you widen your scope out there, you really need something to help you um, learn where to, where to start your looking at. Um, and so I do that through um, a lot of cycles. I look at seasonal trends. I look at economic cycles, business cycles, et cetera. And when I, so I look at what's on a dip, what, what's out of favor and, and what's been out of season or out of cycle. And so it's beaten down, and, but it's, it's nearing what uh, should become its up cycle uh, seasonally or, or as an economic cycle picks up. And so, for instance, in our first pick there, that led me to, uh, to Spain. Um, <clears throat> Spanish stocks tend to do well. 
between about September and uh, February or so of the next year. And so I knew that was, you know, seasonally tends to be an uh, up period. I knew that uh, nobody still likes Europe, and so there was a good chance that there would be some decent value uh, there. And so I started digging into Spanish stocks to look for ones that I felt were uh, a good value. And that's when I went to uh, TEF as the symbol, which is Telefonica. <clears throat> it's a you know $70 billion uh, telecommunications company, so it's kind of like your AT&T of Europe or one of them. Um, and it you know trades at very cheap uh, valuations. It's, it's four P's in the nines. Um, you know it's it's got uh, decent profit margins. It's you know earns billions of dollars a year. It's got over twelve billion dollars of cash on its books, et cetera. So it and so it looked like a great value, and it was also nearing a uh, a technical turnaround point. So I look a lot at technicals. Um, well, I, I look at fundamentals, technicals, and sentiment in both services, but you'll have to say an absolute profit is of the utmost importance uh, to make sure we're very timely in those entries. And so, uh, whereas an ultimate wealth report will major on the fundamentals more, uh, we'll major on the uh, technicals more and absolute profits. And so, I, th- I felt it was ready for a breakout to the upside. And so, we launched a position there. And um, of course, it's just days old, but you know we're already up a percent or two um, on that position. But I think it's got a lot more to go, and I think it'll do very well. Very good. In about a minute or so we have left, what difference will it make in people's portfolios if they take your advice, assuming the dollar is going to go down and get into the gold and silver and oil we talked about, versus not doing that? Well, I think the you know inflation works against a lot of companies, and it works only for certain companies. And so, um, with your average company out there, inflation rises so much that it, it puts a squeeze on their profit margins. But if you own the right companies that own commodities that are being mined or manufactured or produced, um, their profit mar- margins can actually widen out. And so, it really just puts you on the the right side of the the profit margin game, and and it makes a big difference in their earnings over time. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been this half hour has been Sean Hyman. Uh, he's the editor of the uh, Ultimate Wealth Report and also the Absolute Profits Trading Service. You can find out more about him at ultimatewealthreport.com and absoluteprofits.com. Thanks so much for being on the Money Answer Show, Sean. Thank you. Thanks. We'll be back with a uh, another guest, David McLevaney, after the break. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Or listen on demand to our archived shows. Are you looking for innovative ideas on how to achieve your financial dreams? Tune in to Empirical Investing Radio every Thursday afternoon at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Join certified financial planners Ken Smith and Ethan Broga to learn how you can obtain financial success. You'll be entertained while you discover techniques to alleviate your financial concerns. Empirical Investing Radio every Thursday at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. 
whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is David McIlvaney. Uh, He's the head of McIlvaney Wealth Management based in Colorado. Welcome to the show, David. Jordan, great to be with you. Tell us a little bit about your background, and uh, before we get into the specifics of the economy, uh, tell us uh, how you got to where you are today. Yeah, well, uh, you know, 1972 is when our company was started with a focus on precious metals, and we have since expanded into wealth management, kind of covering a broad range of asset classes, so stocks, bonds, commodities, foreign currencies, etc. And so our interests are fairly broad, um, and uh, here locally, Durango, Colorado is where I hail from, uh, participate with um, Fort Lewis College, which is uh, our state school, about 3,000, 4,000 students, and uh, um, help them with their endowments so that uh, kids can get scholarships. So um, love love to look at the world um, through a very macro lens, and um, I think our conversation uh, should should be very fun today. Thanks, Jordan, for having me on the program. Sure. Well, let's let's take a look at the world in the macro lens here. We've got the U.S. government about to uh, probably shut down for a while, and then two weeks from now we have a potential default on national debt. What is your outlook as to what's, how this is all going to play out here? Uh, the debt ceiling is definitely the bigger issue here. Um, you know, 1996, we had the same thing in terms of the government shutdown, and it didn't derail the trend. Now, we're on a very different trajectory today. This isn't sort of the roaring bull market of the 1990s. We may have a nascent bull market, but it has its own challenges in terms of being economically driven uh, by the man in the street as opposed to just driven by funny money from the Fed. So a very different dynamic today, and so arguably you could see more of uh, ramifications uh, or a series of ramifications from this government shutdown. But the debt ceiling is the one that brings our national debt into picture. Um, you know, $16.7 trillion is, is the current limit. And the reality is we broke through that in May. We broke through that in May, and, and, and Jack Lew has been borrowing from the government G Fund since then. That is the government retiree pension plan. And, you know, as soon as they raise the ceiling, they'll immediately pay that back. So it's, it's the challenge now of... Um, borrowing money from Peter to pay Paul. Uh, we, we can't afford the interest on the national debt should we see, let's say, 150 to 200 basis point rise, a two percentage points increase, and we're going from the current $400 billion in interest-only payments on the national debt to something that's six maybe as much as seven, seven fifty. That's billion uh, per year in interest only. If you compare that to the national revenues, um, tax revenues, it's just, again, it's, it's a line item that is unaffordable, unsustainable, and I think um, our primary concern. So frankly, if you had to choose which are the real issues today, debt ceiling or government shutdown, debt ceiling, all we're doing today is setting the tone for a much larger issue here in the next two weeks. How do you think the debt ceiling debate will be Resolved, definitely. President Obama looks like he's not willing to compromise at all. How do you think there will be a compromise to be able to raise the debt ceiling? 
well, it, it will be raised. I mean, this is, you know, we've, we've done this 70-odd times, so it's not like this is a new argument, a new conversation. Um, you know, 50-odd times under Republican administrations, the debt ceiling has been raised close to 30 times under or Democrats. Uh, it's, it's been raised. And uh, part of the reason for that is that government spending has been out of control since 1954. That was the last year that we actually had a decline in government spending. So we've been living beyond our means for a long time and basically putting it on, on, on the credit cards, if you will. And, you know, to, to expect a change in behavior from Washington, it, it's not there. Uh, you know, and, and we'll probably see more examples of hypocrisy as people say, well, you know, we need fiscal conservatism. No, come on. Both parties have been fiscal profligates for decades. You know, this is, this is an old tradition of spending money that you don't have for things that you don't really need, but it certainly helps you in the process of buying votes in the next election cycle. Um, so it's, it's, it's a somewhat broken political system, and I don't know that we're going to get that fixed right now. We're not going to fix anything structural in the immediate, which means, uh, to, your, to your question, Jordan, uh, they're going to raise it. Whatever conditions come with it, they will raise it, and we still have to deal with the future issue of how, do we, how are we going to pay this back? How are we going to pay this back? It's, it's not only the $17 trillion, soon to be, maybe it's 18 18 and a half as the new debt ceiling. We don't know yet. But we also have the unfunded liabilities, which uh, Larry Kotlikoff at Boston University has, has, has penciled out at about $220 trillion. Um, from a fiscal standpoint, we have reason to have concerns. And I think for most investors looking at the traje- trajectory of interest rates, um, they, they, they should be cautious here. So what are the investment implications of that amount of debt and the continued rise in the debt ceiling and all these unfunded liabilities? Uh, are there investments that would benefit by that situation? Yeah, well, it's, it's the, the reality that from the standpoint of human nature, we know that the Fed and the Treasury will continue to do what they have been doing, essentially kick the can down the road, try to finance it, and try to, 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 to cover over some of the consequences um, through the printing presses. And, you know, we've seen uh, the Fed really accommodate the Treasury in this, in this effort the last couple of years. If you look at what this $85 billion in purchases, you know, 40 and 45 of mortgage-backed securities and treasuries has been over the last year. So uh, what is this doing? Uh, really what it's doing is masking reality. It's, it's controlling interest rates, and it's not allowing the market voice to speak and price assets as they should be priced in the open market. So what is obscured today is, is real price discovery. What is obscured today is, is, is real risk. And um, that, I think, you'll continue to see uh, take place, the Fed trying to cover over a real state of affairs, which would be troubling to most investors. What should most investors do in light of that? Well, I, I think caution is warranted in terms of exposure to the equity markets. Uh, it's been a long time since we've had a decent, healthy 15 20% retrenchment. Um, and, and, and I think that's uh, not out of the realm of possibility. Certainly, if we repeat what we had in the summer of 2011, that kind of a correction would just be par for the course. Um, but I think I would also look at an allocation to precious metals, um, silver and gold, looking at not only the Fed's activity in the marketplace, but look at the, look at the Bank of Japan's footprint in the marketplace. They're doing the same thing that we're doing, just on steroids. And ultimately, what it's going to create is a tremendous amount of consumer price inflation. When you look at inflation, the way it works is usually asset price inflation first, 
consumer price inflation on a delayed basis. And that's really the environment where you begin to see concern by the man on the street with inflation and a change in investment behavior favoring gold and silver. So maybe that's not even this year. Maybe that's 2014 or 2015. But on the horizon, I think those are asset classes that are worth looking at. So if that is, I mean, the Japanese have been putting a huge amount of money out. The Federal Reserve has been adding a trillion dollars to its balance sheet every year. The Europeans have been bailing everybody out. Why have gold and silver not done as well as you would have thought under that environment where we've been in for quite a while now? Uh, well, you know, they've done quite well. If you look at the last 10 years, uh, gold from a starting point of about $270, silver from a starting point of roughly $4, and it's sitting at 22 It's very few asset classes that over the last 12, 13 years have done as well as gold and silver. Now, the last two years, the last 24 months, have been a major correction in what we would view as an ongoing bull market in precious metals. And, you know, you can look back at a number of things, and I don't know if this sort of waxes towards conspiracy theory or not, but, you know, just before gold tipped over at 1900, you had the Venezuelan government request their 99 tons of gold from the Bank of England. It's been stored there for a long, long time. And the reality is it's probably been leased out, loaned out, and, you know, the, the ability to deliver on time and without delay, without hiccup, an issue. Then it was 2012, the tail end of 2012, we saw the German government request their 300 tons from the U.S. Let me just explain. So we've been in the gold market for a long time. If I want to find 300 tons of gold, I can find 300 tons of gold. And somehow the German request for their 300 tons of gold, we told them that it would take seven years to deliver it. I don't know if that strikes you as odd, Jordan. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> it, it, yeah, I mean, if you've got it on hand, just, hey, post it. It's, it can be there in a matter of weeks, even if you have to split up the delivery for, for insurance purposes or, or, or logistical reasons, what have you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what this speaks to is, 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 is major problems in the underbelly of the gold and silver market, specifically the stuff that's supposed to be stored at the central bank level. I don't think it's there. I don't think it's there. And, and thus, what I would consider the best explanation for why gold has tumbled the way it has, it freed up a tremendous amount of product in the midst of, of, of the price chaos. It freed up physical product for uh, the fulfillment of, of those government expectations, Venezuela and, and Germany both. So um, solved one problem, uh, created another problem for the average investor wondering what the heck's going on, why is gold and silver so volatile? Um, listen, we saw more volatility in the gold market in the mid-1970s when gold tipped from $197 all the way down to 102 before it finished its march towards 875 Yet yeah. that 40, almost 50% volatility, yes, in the midst of it was very demoralizing, yet it did not change the course that those assets were on. So what you're saying is that the money that has gone out of uh, U.S. Uh, gold holdings, in Fort Knox or wherever they're holding it, to Venezuela and to Germany has depressed the price, but that, that's kind of masking an underlying shortage of gold, and that's going to make it go back up. Is that what you're saying? Well, there is an underlying shortage. Uh, I mean, the question is how quickly demand returns, and, and clearly there's, there's sort of a bifurcated world here, two worlds. There's the East and the West, and, and the West could care less because gold's not a financial asset. Gold is for Luddites. Gold is, as John Maynard Keynes described it, the barbaric relic, uh, and could just call silver sort of the, 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 the ugly stepsister of gold. It, it, 
it, it is it is treated the same way, um, whether whether in favorable terms or, or with great abuse. Um, what what we really see is, is is a dramatic increase in demand in the East, and India is is setting records in terms of demand for physical product. China is seeing huge demand for gold. The route in the price has increased demand considerably in these parts of the world. And, and it's, it's not without coincidence and it's not without important observation that something has changed over the last 30 to 40 years. London and New York used to be the dominant players in the gold space. Physical gold those two places were 65-70% of the physical gold market. Over the last 30 years, it's shifted, and you have sort of the combination of Asia, if you want to say Asia in general, but specifically India and China in concert, they now represent 65% of the physical gold space. So a significant shift behind the scenes in terms of who will ultimately call the shots, and demand continues to increase. Uh, I think the, the long-term story of demand increasing in China is reinforced by what the government is doing there to reconfigure growth in the economy. Yes, it means lower growth in the immediate, um, but they're trying to shift an emphasis towards the consumer and towards the household. Households in China save. They save a lot, and they save in gold terms. So if they're going to be spending more, you're saying that's potentially inflationary, and they'd be buying a lot more gold. And as, as a means of saving, yes. So both, uh, it's just, it's, it's part and parcel to, to that part of the world. We're watching import numbers into Thailand just about double from last year. Um, one particular company now bringing in 200 tons this year as opposed to 92 last year. And, and that's, you know, official imports, non-official imports. Um, Asia has a penchant towards gold. Add a little monetary inflation or price inflation into the mix, and guess what happens? Their regular appetite just increases that much the more. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break, and we're going to get back uh, to how to play this trend in gold and silver with uh, David McIlvaney of McIlvaney uh, Wealth Management. Uh, this is the uh, Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, and we'll be back right after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel or listen on demand to our archived shows. Are you looking for innovative ideas on how to achieve your financial dreams? Tune in to Empirical Investing Radio every Thursday afternoon at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Join certified financial planners Ken Smith and Ethan Broga to learn how you can obtain financial success. You'll be entertained while you discover techniques to alleviate your financial concerns. Empirical Investing Radio every Thursday at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel.
whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is David McIlvaney of McIlvaney Wealth Management. Welcome back to the show, David. Uh, Always. Great to be with you, Jordan. You have a a DVD you want to offer people. Tell, Tell people a little bit about that. Sure. Each year we do sort of a State of the Union and uh, put together a DVD that we send out to clients um, just to let them know what we're thinking. And this year we did it in three parts because so much is happening so quickly. We had a part of it on China and in Asia, and we had a part of it on Europe. And then the, the sort of final installment was dealing with the U.S. fiscal picture. And we titled it The Fuse is Lit. And the Fuse is Lit is something that your listeners can request, uh, complimentary. Um, and, you know, that is an exploration of our, our core problems, our structural problems, how we've been overspending since when, what role the Fed has played, what, what we need to do, what some practical things that, that folks can consider as they sort of focus on wealth preservation in the short run and long run, and potentially even, even growth as, as a secondary motivator in terms of money management. So, yeah, if they want to order that DVD, they can find it at Order DVD Today. Dot com. Order DVD today. Dot com. Request a free copy of the fuses lit, and you'll get all three installments um, in, in in one uh, dealing with the U.S. fiscal picture, uh, China, and and some of the major issues still faced in Europe. Very good. All right. Now, clearly, you think uh, the precious metals are going to go higher: gold, silver, platinum, palladium. So let's get into some of the ways that people can uh, play it. Let's start with gold. Uh, would you uh, recommend people owning physical uh, coins and bars? or the exchange-traded funds, or the gold mining shares, what are the best ways to uh, play uh, gold prices going up? You know, Jordan, I think one of the key questions that an, an investor has to ask is how much faith they have in the system. And to the degree that there is, is sort of a challenging uh, component to their answer, you know, we don't think things are going to be as they have been, uh, then I think you need to focus on physical metals. The, the, the focus on physical metals is, is really defining an insurance mandate within your portfolio allocations. This is this is an insurance against further decline in the value of the dollar. Um, this is an insurance against uh, an outright breakdown in the financial structure, very much like we had in 2008, 2009. We continue to see the derivatives market grow exponentially. Um, just this week, we had um, you know a reporting that the the CLO issuance is hitting the highest levels since before the financial crisis. CLOs are your collateralized loan obligations, which were so popular on bank balance sheets and, and in large part responsible for uh, financial chaos that we had there in the derivatives market 2008-2009 uh, vintage. But where are we at and where are we going? If we still have some of those issues to deal with, do you need an insurance component in your portfolio? To us, the answer is yes. And, and you want to take as much fuzz out of the equation as possible. Physical metals in your, in your own possession or stored in a safe jurisdiction some part, somewhere else in the world, we've been doing that for 40-odd years. Um, so uh, with, with a long-term focus, uh, we, we can certainly provide some answers there. Uh, there's other ways to play the metals. And if it's not a defensive position, if it's not an insurance position, 
And then I think the proxy for the price, that is your exchange-traded funds, they represent a way to play the price for profit. Um, is there a little bit more fuzz on them? Sure. Are there unanswered questions? Perhaps. And it depends on how far you, you, you want to go in terms of sub-custodians and whatnot. Um, looking at the prospectuses for things like GLD and SLV, um, they have proven themselves in this last drawdown to have the metals that they purported to have and to provide hundreds of tons to the market instantaneously. It's very interesting, going back to that issue of Germany requesting their 300 tons and the U.S. government putting them on a seven-year wait, and then in investors liquidating GLD, their GLD position over the last six to 12 months, and we've come up with hundreds of tons instantaneously. So, you know, there's some concern over GLD and SLV. I think a lot of those concerns have been allayed, watching how smoothly it operated through what was a very uh, treacherous and, and, and volatile period for the metals. And then how about some of the gold, gold mining shares as a way to play it? The mining shares are another way, and, and they do represent, I think, a tremendous growth opportunity. Um, obviously, the higher the growth um, component in the equation, there's, there's also reason to be concerned with risk. So risk and reward go hand in hand. And, you know, well-chosen, well-operated, um, carefully chosen jurisdictions, uh, already operating mines. I mean, these are the kinds of things that you want to keep in mind when you're looking at the miners. Uh, they've underperformed since, uh, since 2012, woefully underperformed the gold market. If gold is down 1x, the gold miners are down 2 or 3x. Uh, having said that, on a rebound in gold and silver, I think you'll see outperformance in that space. You want to choose wisely, though, because, again, I think your first goal needs to be to finish the race intact, and there's a number of gold mines that simply won't finish the race at all, um, being overextended, having high-graded many of their ore deposits, um, and, and frank, frankly, being ill-managed. So people do matter. Relationships do matter. People do matter. Integrity does matter. And how those companies have been operated uh, absolutely is critical to how they thrive or die on the vine over the next uh, 24 to 36 months. Let's talk about silver a little bit. Uh, do you like uh, uh, SLV as a way to play it, or are there some silver mining shares you like? Sure. You know, I mean, if you're looking at physical metals, one thing to consider is that if you want physical metal in your possession, but you do want a growth component, kind of, kind of a hybrid between wanting greater control because there is a faith issue in terms of the system and, and concerns with systemic stability, silver is an interesting medium because it is like gold on steroids. It has an, an additional growth component, and yet it is a physical metal that you can hold in your physical possession. Now, very much of it, I mean, if you're taking possession of $500,000 worth of silver, you'll curse my name uh, and, and, and wish that we were offering, instead of a DVD, a chiropractic punch card, because <laughs> very much silver uh, is very much a pain in the neck. Um, I, I, for that reason, I do like SLV. Um, we have a great storage arrangement where you can have silver either here in the U.S. or up in Canada. Um, it, you know, it's a phone call away in terms of a liquidation or request for delivery. So we've done some innovative things with, this, with, this, with silver, whether you want it in, in hand or not. The ETF proxy is great. Um, I, I think it works for someone who's trading the price. And um, I think silver will outperform gold handily if you've got a three- to five-year time frame in mind. Uh, our view is that we do have major economic 
challenges ahead of us over the next 18 to 24 months. And you could find your gold shares sell off alongside the general equities market, and you could find the industrial component of silver drag silver down further. So, you know, again, you have to keep in mind, if you're signing on for greater reward, there is greater risk and certainly greater volatility with both those spaces, the miners and the physical silver position. And about two minutes we have left. How about platinum and palladium? What is the outlook for those and how would you play them? Platinum and palladium, uh, we like them both. Uh, they, they, of course, have an industrial, strong industrial component, and that gives them an economic vulnerability. Uh, but I think at this point, looking at the platinum palladium ratio, you'd have to favor platinum. You were, if you were trading the ratio, um, coming out of palladium and, and moving towards platinum. Very good. So just kind of give us an overall view in the current environment. What, is, what difference is it going to make for people's portfolio if they take your advice and go into the precious metals versus stay out of them? Well, I think there's two things that are imperative. Number one, you should have about a 20-25% cash component in your portfolio, regardless of whether you buy metals or not, just because we have in front of us uh, uncertainty, and some of that is exaggerated, exacerbated by the folks in D.C. The, you know, we, the reason we like gold as a complement to your cash position is that we do think you need stupidity insurance. The folks in D.C. haven't shown themselves to be the greatest of statesmen or the greatest of decision makers, and so having some stupidity insurance against the folks in D.C., I think still makes some sense. So gold and silver, um, I think, will have that benefit, particularly as an insurance component. As you move towards 2015, 2016, I think that's where you see closer to the end of a bull market in the metals, maybe 2017. Nobody has a crystal ball and in sort of a final blow-off stage in terms of price. One one further thing, Jordan, I think if if you're looking at owning physical metals, you need to consider what your exit strategy is. Now, if you don't own them, you might say, well, that's, that's odd to be suggesting an exit strategy. It's just that if you're buying it as an insurance policy, some ounces you may keep forever and pass on to the next generation. But certainly, if you're playing the price for profit, uh, it will be there and it will be gone. We're in a market cycle where gold and silver should appreciate nicely over the next three, four, five years, but it can take it back very quickly. And um, very you know, that's something that we can offer to your listeners is uh, strategy uh, as, as well as service. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest has been David McIlvaney of McIlvaney Wealth Management. Uh, the, again, you want to get a free copy of the uh, DVD called The Fuse is Lit. Uh, that website is orderdvdtoday.com. Uh, and uh, his website for his uh, money management services, mwealthm.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, David. Thank you, Jordan. Have a great day. Thanks again, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 